night. I'm so glad you set your clock up. You're here. Yes, that's good. It's good to see you this morning. Did you sleep all right? Or did you worry about getting up at the right time? You know, Faye confessed to us all, our children's minister, she overslept. Yes, Faye B. Scott, right back there in the door looking at me. You slept. You woke up two hours late today. And she sent a group me to us all. She said, this never happens. I overslept. I'm going to be late. And Taylor Rutland responded, Why is, how is this different from any other Sunday? <laughs> but she, she's very faithful, so we love you. Miss Faye. <laughs> she's doing the New Believers class. We're going to baptize on Easter. And uh, so she's doing her New Believers class, and that's always a great experience for the families that go through that. So these weeks here as we get ready for Easter, we're looking at awkward family photos from the Gospel of John. Of which there are many, by the way. (laughs) Jesus seems to love awkward. He's okay with it. If it gets awkward for Jesus, it's a great teaching moment. So we have one of the leaders of the Jews who comes to Jesus at night. And I suppose he wants to keep this meeting secret. But now the whole world knows. Okay, so what he thought might stay secret is now public information and has been since the first century. Now, I am turning to John chapter 2 because I want to read the end of chapter 2. Maybe you've never thought about that part as part of the Nicodemus story, but I just want you to consider that this morning, okay? We're looking at Nicodemus now this morning. Now, verse 23 of chapter 2 of the Gospel of John. By the way, next week we're going to look at the woman at the well. All right? The following week, that's Palm Sunday, it's going to be the foot washing, where Peter says, you're never going to wash my feet. We're going to look at that. And then on Easter, we're going to look at that meeting by the sea, where Jesus prepares the fire, the fish, and the bread, and invites them to come and dine. And you may already know that's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Come and dine. Verse 23 of John chapter 2. Pay attention to the word now. This is wonderful, wonderful scripture. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people... He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Okay? Now, as the NIV starts here, ties these together. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Jesus knows what what is in each man. Doesn't have to have anybody tell him. Now comes a man named Nicodemus. He came to Jesus at night 
and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things very truly I tell you we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen but still you people do not accept our testimony I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven the son of man just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. Congregation, would you stand up and read the next two verses with me from the screen so we're all on the same translation, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Thank you. Please be seated. Did you know that God sent his son to the world? Did you know God sent his son to save the world, not condemn the world? Has it occurred to you that the world needs saving? Did you read your paper this morning? Any day you pick up the paper, you look at that and say, this world needs saving. And God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And I take the world for its usual meaning, which is the great expanse of our earth, our world. He came into this world to save it. His own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to those people he gave the power to become the children of God even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent nor of human 
decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. John chapter 1. That's where the new birth is first mentioned. Verses 12 and 13, right there. How are they going to be born? Born not of natural descent, not of a human decision, not of a husband's will, but born of God. Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin, apparently. Almost everyone agrees he must be. That's the ruling council of the Jews, so he must be a member of that. He is a Pharisee, we are told. He comes to Jesus by night. I had a guy that called me up and wanted to meet me at a bar in Gladewater, Texas, when I was a boy preacher. And I said, okay, I'll meet you at the bar. Just tell me when. So he said the time. And I showed up and went into this bar and found a booth. And there he sat. And uh, I introduced myself and he said, I'm Snake. I said, that's your name? He said, everybody calls me Snake. I said, okay, Snake. What do you need? He said, first, first thing I want to tell you, you can't tell anybody I met you. If you do, it'll ruin my reputation. Now, this is the true story. Snake wanted to protect his reputation, and he couldn't be seen meeting with a preacher. So we met in this out-of-the-way place, and I shared the gospel with him. And he was struggling inside but he hesitated about trusting Jesus. And he wouldn't quite make the decision to do so. Now, Nicodemus is one of those who, with hesitation, comes to Jesus. And there are a group of them, a group of the leaders who are hesitating about Jesus. But Nicodemus decides he's going to come anyway, despite his hesitations. Even though he's not sure. And do you know in chapter 7, and we don't know what the chronology is often in John, but in chapter 7, the Jewish council has a discussion about Jesus. They've already decided they've got to kill him. They've got to get rid of him. And they talk about how they're going to arrest him. And Nicodemus speaks up and says, are we going to condemn a man without a trial? And John puts in there that none of the leaders of the Pharisees had yet believed in Jesus. So we're not sure yet. We wonder if maybe... Nicodemus is still hesitating, he's still measuring, he's still considering, he's just not sure whether he really believes that Jesus is the one or not. And when he and Joseph of Arimathea come to get the body of Jesus, they do it secretly, the scripture says, for fear of the Jews, still right up to that time. You wonder, where do you stand, Nicodemus? Now, 
Here's, I'm, here's what I'm going to give Nicodemus credit for. He came to Jesus even with his hesitations. I hope you will do that. I hope you will come to Jesus with your hesitations. Even if you're bearing his name, even if you consider yourself a believer or a follower, I hope that you will come to Jesus with your hesitations. Nicodemus comes under cover of night. We assume it is for secrecy. But Nicodemus is coming out of the dark and into the light as he comes to see Jesus. And Jesus is going to talk to him about the light. And that's in this chapter 2 in verses 19 through 21. You have a discussion about those who do the truth. Come to the light. God has sent his light into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But the one who does the truth comes to the light. And so Jesus talks to him about the light and about the darkness. And the book of John starts out with this light and darkness. That John the Baptist came to bear witness to that light. The light was the true one who let everyone who comes into the world. So Nicodemus is in the dark in a lot of different ways. He's in the dark because he doesn't really understand. He doesn't really know who Jesus is or what he's up to, even though he's seen the mighty signs. And we read that too. Jesus has done miracles in Jerusalem. Nicodemus has seen those. He says, you know, no one could do these things unless God was with him. Nicodemus isn't ready to commit. He's not ready to join the group. He's not ready to be a disciple. But he comes to Jesus anyway with his hesitations. Somebody in the room may be stuttering on the edge of making a decision about Jesus. And what I would say to you is, come to Jesus. Find the real deal. There's lots of people who hesitate, but they never do the investigation. I'm glad Nicodemus stepped away from his friends and some of these other, these other leaders who might have been hesitating too and just came on to Jesus, even if it was by night, to say, here, here I am. I want to have a conversation with you. I want to know who you are. i tell you something about Jesus. People who come to Jesus never go away disappointed. I am astonished at Jesus every time I come to him. When I come to this passage of Scripture, I read what Jesus said, and I think, nobody ever talked like this. How, do, how did he come up with this? I, over and over again, I'm startled and amazed by Jesus. The folks they sent to kill him came back and said, no one ever talked like this man. I mean, we lost ourselves. I know we were supposed to arrest him, but we got so caught up in his words. I mean, he's amazing. That's when Nicodemus makes his comment about we don't condemn people without a trial but come to Jesus with your hesitations it's okay it's okay what you're feeling inside and just check him out come and see who he is and you will be startled and amazed by Jesus now Nicodemus has some observations to make he says we know 
well, who's this we? You got a frog in your pocket? I think he's talking about these other religious leaders, you know. I think he's saying, hey, the guys in the Jewish council, the guy, you know, I'm one of the ruling council here. Well, we know. We know. So maybe he's including some of these Jewish rulers. We know that you've got to be sent from God because no one could do these things unless God was with them. So he makes this observation. And in a way, he's, he's come to Jesus and he calls him teacher. But in the we know, he's sort of saying to the teacher, you know, I'm a teacher too. And I'm part of the expert group on the law. And I'm a Pharisee. And we, we, we figured out, we figured out that, that God's got to be with you. Nobody could do these things unless God was, God was with them. So he makes his observation. And inside his observation, there are all kinds of questions. He doesn't ask the question right at first. He makes his observation. People do that, you know. They come to Jesus and they make an observation. Hey, Jesus, I know you're a good moral person. You're a, an amazing teacher. I know, Jesus, that uh, you, you demonstrated great leadership while you were here. So they make observations about Jesus, and that's okay. I think it's okay. You come to Jesus with your observations. But realize that in your observations, inside of them... There are questions. And Nicodemus unfolds the questions out of his observation as he has this discussion with Jesus. He makes his observation and then Jesus says, truly I tell you, or very truly I tell you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So, Jesus responds to his observation with a statement all his own. Now, this is the thing. Nicodemus has questions about Jesus. He has questions about eternal life. He's got questions about how you really are acceptable to God. And Jesus knows that. He knows what's in every person, right? He knows what's in Nicodemus. Nobody has to tell him, oh, let me tell you about Nicodemus. Jesus already knows. John's observed that already. He introduced the story by saying Jesus already knows. So Jesus already knows about you. Hello. There's nothing about you that's hidden from him. He already knows. You come and make your observation. Well, I have a scientific mind, you know. My mind is very logical. Well, that's, that's good. That's good for you. And in all your logic and science, have you unraveled the mysteries of the universe? No. How about the mystery of you? No. Jesus already knows. Nicodemus is struggling with these things. 
And every time Nicodemus asks a question, Jesus answers with, very truly, I tell you. There's four or five of them. Very truly, look, I'm being as truthful as I can be with you, Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? How can it happen? You come to Jesus with your hesitations. You come to him with your observations. And you know that inside your observations, you have questions. That despite your leaning on science and logic, despite the fact that you're an expert in the law, that you are intelligent and you have smart friends, and that's your group, despite all those things you haven't really unraveled. Not only what the world is about, but what your own life is about, and so you're looking for that. And you come in the darkness because those things are dark to you. And you, not, you would like to have some light on them. And Jesus is welcoming you to make your observations. And he knows the questions inside of them. Nicodemus says, can a man go into his mother's womb the second time and be born? And the implication is he cannot. A man cannot go into his mother's womb the second time and be born, can he? I mean, it's like a statement instead of a question. And Jesus says... You are a teacher in Israel. Here's a man who's making his observations. He's a teacher in Israel. When he came to Jesus, he said, teacher. And now Jesus is saying to him, you're the teacher. Nicodemus says, teacher, when he first starts out, we know. Hey, we know something. Jesus says, teacher, you're a teacher in Israel, and you don't know this? You don't understand this? You're the teacher and you don't understand. I wonder how many people who consider themselves teachers and wise and experts in the law and start out maybe introducing themselves as we know things when it comes right down to it. What they don't know is weighing on their mind and heart and soul. And they need to come to Jesus for an answer. And maybe Jesus would say to you, you're a teacher, and you don't yet know this very fundamental thing about life. You don't understand this. You don't know how to see the kingdom of God. You don't know how to enter the kingdom of God. You don't understand how a person comes into faith. That's Nicodemus' situation. Although he is an expert, and he's part of the ruling council, and he studied the scriptures all his life, people would consider him highly intelligent. He doesn't know. He doesn't really know. So, you come to Jesus not only with your hesitations and observations, you come to Jesus with your limitations. You come to Jesus with your limitations. You got to confess those. You got to confess those. I'm in the dark here. 
I'm in the dark. That's a limitation. It's a limitation of vision. And Nicodemus has admitted it. I'm, I'm not seeing it. And Jesus says to him as he steps out of the darkness, unless you're born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. See, all around you, God is at work. But unless you're born again, you can't see it. You might even live your whole life and walk through your whole journey and get to the end and think, you know, God, God hadn't done anything. Why? You were never born again. You never had eyes to see. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see. He cannot see what God is doing in the world. He can't do it. And he cannot enter the kingdom of God either. You see, those are two ways that are spoken here. Nicodemus introduces his questions with power and authority. You cannot, you cannot, no man can do these things unless God is with him. And Nicodemus is concerned about the can. He's, he's concerned about the ability. In fact, this verb is used six times in the first nine verses of John chapter 3. No one can. And Jesus responds, unless a man is born again, he cannot. And Nicodemus says, well, how can? Can he enter into his mother's womb second time and be born? What's he confessing? I don't know how. I can't. See, you got to get to the point where you understand, Nicodemus, you can't do this on your own. I'm not talking about a fleshly birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. You must be born again. That's not something you can do, which Nicodemus understands. Can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? No, he cannot. So how can a man be born again? He doesn't have the power to birth himself again. And neither do you. You can't. You cannot. You can't go back into your mother's womb. And you can't be born a second time by the Spirit of God in yourself. You cannot do it. You come to Jesus with your limitations. I don't really understand how all this works. And you know what else? I don't really have the power to change my inner being. I don't, I don't have the power to bring this new day upon my own life. I cannot do it. See, the word born is the same word as begotten. You, you can't pick that up. It's the doctrine we call regeneration. And regeneration has the Greek word in it that's right here. When the scripture says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, the old Bible said, his only begotten son, it's the word, Monogene. 
his only begotten son. Well, how was Jesus, God's son, begotten? The angel said to Joseph, do not fear to take Mary to be your wife. For the life that is in her is conceived. That is, it's gene. It's born, it's birthed by the Spirit. A spiritual birth has happened. Jesus is spiritually conceived. And you yourself must be conceived spiritually in the same way. In a similar manner, you need a spiritual birth. You must be birthed again. Birth from above. That word can also mean. And you can't do it yourself. You may have been thinking about the new birth, the second birth, born again. And you thought all along, I just don't know about that. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know how that happens. It's okay. Nicodemus didn't know either. Jesus takes the time to explain what happens. It is a birth by the Spirit of God. This birth does not happen because you decide. It's not a human decision. It doesn't happen naturally. It's not of natural descent. It doesn't happen because your parent decides. It's not a husband's will. This birth happens only from above. It's only from God. You can't sitting in your pew decide today you're going to be born again. Only God can bring the new birth to you. It's, it's God who does it and God alone. Your decision cannot affect it. Only God can. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? All you can do is throw yourself on the mercy of God and say, God, I need a new heart, a new life forgiveness of sin I want to see the kingdom and enter into it this is my heart will you save me you align your desire with the desire of God and he will bring you into his kingdom through a new birth It is required. You must be born again. When Jesus says you must be born again, he does something that you can't see in the English, but it's evident in the Greek. He changes the singular you to the plural you. He has addressed Nicodemus individually with a singular you in the verse. But when he says, you must be born again, it's a plural you. Nicodemus introduced the we. He said, we know that you've got to be sent from God. Jesus says, the we includes all of you. 
you all, every one of you, and each one of you must be born again. Everybody in this room must be born again if they're going to enter the kingdom of heaven or see the kingdom of God. Everybody must be born again. The you is plural. The must is now. The first word of this chapter. Now. Now Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And the now is of necessity. You must do this. In order for you to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And the how is him. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Knowing he doesn't have the power to do it. Only Jesus has the power to bring it about. It comes about through the Spirit. The how is Him. And verse 16, that beautiful verse that we've known all our lives, is the how of the new birth. God so loved the world so extremely, so profoundly, that He gave the best that He had his one and only son. Why? So that whoever believes in him will not perish, be destroyed, but have everlasting, eternal life. This is the purpose for which God sent his son Jesus into the world. To rescue us and save us and give to us eternal life. This life is in Christ alone. And he is the only way to have it. The how is him. We ought not to think when we hear a message. Oh, well then I can just be saved whenever I want to. Oh, I could be born again then whenever I want to. I talk to people and they say, oh, I want to sow my wild oats first, then I'll come to Jesus. <laughs> you think? You think? I'll bet you in this room, this moment is somebody's now. Somebody's now who's been thinking about it. And now is the moment. Often when God sends out his word, the now comes to somebody's heart and somebody's life. And it could be that this is your now. And it is the now of necessity. You don't know what the future holds. You don't know what life will bring forth. You don't know what will happen to you when, out, when you walk out these doors. And so now you have heard the words that Jesus said, you must be born again. And I have explained them as best I can. And the necessity is on you to say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I remember 
when first I trusted Christ. Coming helpless, just like Nicodemus, half blind and undone, with hesitations and questions and limitations in my mind, and casting myself upon the mercy of God. He heard my plea and saved me. He did it. I didn't do myself. I couldn't. Only he can. I received an email this week from someone who said, my only hope, my only hope is to let it all go and surrender completely to Christ and trust in him alone. Life has tumbled down around me, and this is my only hope. You know, when you get to the place where you see Christ as the only hope and the only way, that's actually a good place to be. Because you have opportunity to then say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Bow with me, please. If you've never trusted Christ, you don't remember that moment when you said yes to God's pleading, to God's offer, to God's invitation. Would you this moment, in this now, say, Lord, I need you. I want this new life that you talk about here. I'm asking you, God, please forgive me for my sin. I'm casting myself on your mercy, not because I deserve it, not because I'm a good person, but Lord, because you love me, would you save me? Would you bring to me this new birth? Lord, I pray for the person in this room who's in the biggest now of their life, a moment when life can turn for them, when the light can flood in for them, when life begins to make sense for them. And God, I pray that necessity from your spirit would draw them to yourself. Lord, that they would surrender all that they have and all that they are in this moment of decision, this moment of grace, this moment of mercy. God, we thank you for your mercy. That your mercy is far-reaching that you are full of it full of mercy full of grace let your grace pour out on us today in Jesus name we pray